everyone. I'm Betsy. And I'm Greg. And we want to invite you to check out our podcast, Going On 30. Each month, Betsy and I take a look back at a movie that was released 30 years ago that was either nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture. We talk about the legacy of the film, choose the best scenes and performances, and explore our own hot takes about the movie. And we discuss the greatness of Tom Cruise, an actor oh, who has graced our screens for multiple decades, taking on some of the most artistically challenging pursuits while displaying what can only be described as an everyman relatability. An actor, nay, a thespian, who pushes oh. the boundaries of what the medium is capable of while revealing the humanity that's underlying. All right, all I'm of- done. I cannot, I cannot tolerate this anymore. So listen to Going on 30 every month right here on the Popping Collar Speed, wherever you get your podcast. I love you, Tom. Oh, jeez. Give me, give me, give me some time to think. I'm in the bathroom looking at me. Facing the mirror is all I need. When until the reaper takes my life Never gonna get me out of life I will live a thousand million lives my patience. Hi, I'm Greg Knight Hey, I'm Ryan Parker And this is PCTV, a Popping Collars side project where we randomly select a current TV show that you should be streaming right now Ryan and I have each picked six shows from the top streaming apps This month, we are talking about the prime video series The Boys Greatest superhero team the world's ever seen, the Seven. Is there anything I can help you with? I'm not gonna piss you about, Huey. I heard what happened to Robin. You ain't alone, son. Soups lose hundreds of people each year to collateral damage. I can't stop. I can't stop. Robin! They were my fitness on the front page. That's where I mean the boys are coming. I never Spank the bastards when they get out of line. Can you control her, please? You need to unclench your asshole. Jesus, he gives the worst pep talks. He really, really does. <laughs> I can't do this. You just pulled the Seven. Earth's most mighty mother. Please, 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 no, please. Pardon my French. If you want to be my lover, Ryan, I have a brief description. This is, you know what? I keep saying a brief description. I have a log line for the show. <laughs> yeah, you've got the you've got the log line. That's exactly right. I'm looking at your notes. <laughs> <laughs> I got a, I got the log line, which is going to be completely inept for the show. So we have to unpack all of this. Yeah. But uh, it goes like this. A group of vigilantes set out to take down corrupt superheroes who abuse their superpowers. Okay. okay. As a log line, I mean, I want the I want the short synopsis and then I want the long synopsis if I'm a producer. I mean, <laughs> that's right. This is, is this is what the show is or what the books were. Uh, but it's so much more than that. It's, it's so, so funny. Yeah, when these books came out, like that would have been an intriguing storyline, I think. You know, like that sort of 
that Garth Ennis stuff from like the mid to late nineties, early two thousands that were sort of pushing the boundaries of comics. But nowadays it just kind of feels like, okay, ho-hum, like what else you got? And it's like, okay, well, yeah. I've got really like disgusting, gross out gore uh, in service of comedy. How's that? Which, which you were getting ahead, but yes, <laughs> it does. there's a lot of that. Yeah. Can we talk about, breaking somebody's face in the wor- in the most freaky position imaginable like uh i'm sorry can we talk about the flea and yeah. uh yeah, yeah. like <laughs> man i <laughs> some I, of the I, opening I, scenes for season i two. hope people who have never watched this series listen to this podcast and go watch it and then send you all sorts of hate mail that's right that's right yeah. what in the hell did you make me watch uh, okay, uh, well, I, Ryan, it's me, let's, right? Let's, it's me. Did I pick? It's my pick. So that's what. That's actually where I was going to steer us. Why did you pick this show? Why did you pick the boys? Well, if you think about it, there's not a ton on Prime that's worth talking about. I didn't. Don't crucify me. I didn't love the Lord of the Rings prequel. Right. I love dark series. I love uh, anytime a genre like superhero genre is kind of turned on its head and dissected and kind of picked apart. I, I think it's one of the more popular series on, on um, Amazon prime. I think a lot of people have watched it, but for me, I, I didn't know. I didn't read Garth's books. So I, I came into it blind. Have but you it read any, like ju- uh, sorry, I don't mean to jump on you, but have you read any of us? Did you read like preacher and stuff? Oh like yeah. I, I devoured preacher. Okay. Which there's a lot of stuff here that, what you just said, like extremely violent and or gross, grotesque imagery in the service of comedy or abusing those who abuse power. Or right. Like, yeah. Social commentary. Power. I mean, social yeah. Power. Social commentary oh. is at the heart of preacher. And- yeah, I couldn't get enough of preacher. And I and I, I appreciated the attempt to uh, to adapt that for a series. Yeah. Um, I think this is better, but again, well, I can't even say that. I think this is a better series, but I don't know about it as an adaptation, like I said, because I didn't read his comics. But I will say that after the first, I don't know, first half of the first season, and there's three seasons, I felt like it was the most realistic superhero narrative out there. And the sense yeah. of like, okay, if this could really happen, th- this is what would happen. Yeah, The totally. government and the military would um, abuse this these people mm-hmm. um exploit them yeah this is this is what would happen right yeah and, and iron man it's not the hulk it's like and there's some of that the militarization and iron man is there's a little bit of that in there but this is just so much more i mean it was well, darker for sure but it's also just so much more nefarious yeah i mean totally so so you know, there's the corporate aspect, which is that, you know, this group of this superhero team that's on the show, it's a takeoff. It's a send up of the Justice League. So like everybody on the superhero team have an analogous like, you know, um, mirror of what Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, basically and like here, all of that stuff. Yeah. And here they're called the seven. And we don't have to go into great detail about their identities, but they're a few kind of stand out more than others, right? Like Homelander or uh, Starlight or Maeve. Like 
you know, there's there's some minor care they're minor characters in the seven. And what the show does well is say, yes, this would be a team that would be, you know, wholly owned by a corporation like Disney or like Warner Brothers, who owns DC, right? Or something like that. Um, but also the other thing that the show does well is sort of making these characters, these superhero characters into modern day, like Greek gods, right? So that they, you know, are kind of human in the sense that they have been given like a drug that gives them superhuman powers, but those powers make them something more than human. And therefore they do don't treat human life as if it has any value whatsoever. Like they've moved beyond sort of humanity. Um, And so it very much sort of mirrors this idea of when Zeus comes to the earth and causes chaos, like what does that look like? And that's what the show is. Right. And it's, and in that way, they're a bit more like the watchmen or members of the watchmen than they are the justice league. Right. Even though Mm -hmm. Superman is an alien from another planet, there's still an identification with the people of earth. Right. Particularly through his existence as Clark Kent. But yeah, there, these superhero, but maybe not all of them, but most of them, I mean, I don't get the sense that starlight is like that at all. Maeve Homelander. Yeah. They, to me, they exist as a God and a goddess where starlight is just something a bit more complex. And that's kind of the space that this show lives in. It's like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Okay. If superheroes were real, like, what are we actually talking about? Right. It it just deconstructs all of that um, and rips away all of the mythology and goodwill that we would have in this scenario and sort of strips it all down to its bare bones sort of human greed and and you know pursuit of power i mean that's the satire of the show right that's basically like there's no such thing as a superhero if there were a superhero would just be a commodity for a corporation well it also made me think about the short-lived but i thought entertaining series powerless which ran on uh, i believe it was nbc maybe for like one season and it was it took place at an, a, the staff of an insurance company that would sell products to innocent bystanders who lived in a world where superheroes and supervillains were real. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you think about the bureaucratic side of, OK, well, if they're around tearing up buildings and stuff, what how does life carry on the next day? And there's a little bit of that to this. Right. And whenever you're at vault in the show, like all of the. um infrastructure that it takes for these superheroes to exist right like marketers and mm-hmm. pr you know, pr <laughs> and yeah. hr and all you know all of this so uh yeah right. i mean the 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 whole premise of the show is that there's this group of superheroes that exist they're controlled or in service of a multinational corporation called vault and then there's a handful of boys if you will uh, men who ha- are making it their life's mission to stop these superheroes and the spread of any more. And we could say more about how that's. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would even add to that. There's this group of boys who are pushing back against the superheroes because 
all of them in some way have been wronged by a superhero. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a revenge. Yeah. yeah, family. Uh, they've had a family member who's been killed, or they've had a a significant other who's been kidnapped, <laughs> obliterated. Yeah, good God, yeah. So, uh, and the, and they kind of make it their. And these aren't. I mean, and a couple of these boys, these vigilantes, are damn near super heroic themselves in terms of their strength and what they can take. And it takes a lot of guts to stand up to a god, you know. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's go to hot takes about the show. Where where do you want to start? Uh, well, I think you've got one. <laughs> All right. So my whole thing is that I see this show as a satire, right? Okay. And um, and the thing about the thing about satire is that it it attempts to skewer lots of stuff. It should be said that Garth Ennis is uh, from England, right? Like he, I think he's from the UK anyway. He may be Scottish or English. I'm not sure, but he's not American. And most of his stuff, Preacher included, are about sort of the deconstructing the myth of America, right? And like, okay, so if you all are cowboys with guns, what does that kind of look like? And that's that's the Preacher story, right? And if you're obsessed with superheroes and like, you know, the goodness of superheroes, what is actually the point of that? And that's what The Boys is, right? So, um... So I see Garth Ennis as sort of, you know, he takes a cynical sort of point of view about America in general, but he uses his stories as a way to satire what it is that Americans kind of value. And the thing that happens is that, you know, like all satire, you end up becoming politically incorrect pretty quickly. And that's what this show does. Like it leans into political incorrectness and in a way that sometimes makes it uncomfortable to watch. This is not for the easily offended. Yeah. Uh, Garth Ennis, Northern Ireland. Uh, okay. There you go. All right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's also no, no coincidence that his other highly acclaimed comic was his run on Punisher. Yes, which yeah. is also kind of similar tones there. Um, no, I agree with you, and I know that you're talking about um, satire and how that could potentially lead to cynicism, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. <laughs> mm. uh, and then I asked you in our in our notes to try nihilism on for size. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, which you know is very enticing when you watch a show like this, but I I also like how he shows in very extreme fashion um, what I think we've seen really in the last two years where patriotism is kind of just window dressing for some pretty reprehensible behavior and beliefs. Like if you really boil it down and yeah, I mean, uh, you think like, especially (laughs) when, especially when you and I, well, I would say you more than me, you know, are claiming this identity Right. That transcends nationalities. But, you know, even so Eric Kripke, who's the showrunner and the creator of the series of the adaptation, uh, talked about this. I found this interesting interview today that he did for Vulture. And he said January 6th happened while they were writing season three. Yeah, man, that's that's really got to mess with your creative juices on a show like this. Right. Like. And he said, you know, we're a product of the time when we were writing and it scared the 
out of him. He's like, scared the shit out of our team. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like, it, he said, uh, it scared me more than things during the Trump administration did. And to have the scariest part be after he lost the election really terrified me. Like, yeah. that's okay. So, yes, a thousand percent. The Homelander character on the show represents a form of Trumpism that fascism. exists, like, yeah, that like cozies up to fascism in order to get what it wants. Right. But here's the thing like, fascism is a belief. Like, Trumpism is a belief in nothing, right? Like, it's like, you don't believe in anything. And that may be, like, though, that may be even the worst possible outcome. I think it's a belief in, I think it's a a belief in the accumulation of power, of wealth and power, no matter what. And using all of these ideas and identity politics to get it, like, Creating the us versus them, like I, I, I just see all of that is. Does he not? Yeah, he believes in something. He believes in power. Well, he believes in himself. So, like, if Homelander is the representation of like Trumpism, right? Okay. Like, Homelander is willing to cozy up to fascism and the character of Stormfront, which is a literal Nazi superhero on this show, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, in order to in order to get what he wants, remains completely ignorant to like what Stormfront represents, even though it's completely obvious to everyone else, is completely ignorant to it because it gives him what he wants. And then once he realizes it doesn't give him what he, give him what he wants, he goes the other way and sort of like manipulates his way into Starlight, who represents like this sort of progressive, like you know kind of uh, view of super heroism uh, in the world also has, you know, tremendous sort of Instagram followers akin to like, it would be like Trump going from, I don't know, from um, the religious right to the environmental crusaders you know it's like it's like this swing back and forth but it's not about any of the beliefs of those things it's only ever about him right he doesn't believe in any of it as long as it serves his ends and that's that's the homelander character yeah but his ends are getting retaining power yeah i mean it's it's like i mean it's dark because Homelander on the show, I mean, you're talking about a guy wrapped in the American flag. Like, that's his cape, right? Yeah. Is the American flag. And it's it's essentially this Irishman, Garth Ennis, saying to the world, like, you have this tremendous superpower, this God-man, you know, um, of a country in America, and you guys don't believe in anything. Like you, you just wield your power around the world, you know, like without any checks or balances from anybody else. You're just like this destructive force in the world, you know, it's scary to think about. And somehow the more destructive it is, the more it is celebrated. I mean, I think. Right. Because it's entertaining. Yeah. Where you you and I live, if (laughs) if like a real version of Homelander showed up. People would line up in the streets to follow this guy. Yeah. I mean, like, that's they, the... would, they would leave church. I mean, it, listen, I would say most American Christians are choosing Homelander over Jesus 
every day of the week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not even close. If the two showed up tomorrow and you could definitively know that this that this figure on the right was Jesus and this figure on the left is Homelander, people are following Homelander. Um, I would say yes, because people would see Jesus as like a beta male, you know, uh, socialist, like communist, you know, yeah. the, like that's, that's how they would be. Yeah. Well, that's Homelander, how he would be portrayed. Homelander would probably laser his face off. That's right. That's right. And, and would be cheered for doing it. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think that that's the, that's the satire part of the show is that this man who is basically a, an idiot, you know, it's like a, a, a traumatized child, idiot child. <laughs> it's like, child. yeah, is the most powerful person in the world. Like the yeah. And it's like, uh, what do you do with that? You know, but we all deserve second chances in that spirit. Homelander has agreed to donate $10 million to the Starlight House, which, no. is, I mean, give, come on, no. give it up, give it up. No, no, no. Starlight lied to you just now. She did. I don't make mistakes. I'm not just like the rest of you. I'm stronger, I'm smarter, I'm better. I am better. All my life, people have tried to control me. My whole life, rich people, powerful people, tried to muzzle me, cancel me. You know what, it worked. Because I allowed it to work. And guess what, if they can control me, then you can bet your ass they can control you. They already do, you just don't realize it. I'm done. I am done apologizing. I am done being persecuted for my strength. You people should be thanking Christ that I am who and what I am because you need me. You need me to save you. You do. I am the only one who possibly can. You're not the real heroes. I'm the real hero. I'm the real hero. I don't know. Here's the thing about here's the thing about the boys, and here's the thing that I think makes blue state people kind of bristle at shows like this because it's comparable to something. I I compared it to South Park in the notes, um, in the sense that nobody is safe. Nothing is safe in this show. Like yeah. it's willing to say, yeah, Trumpism is akin to you know this uh, spoiled bratty. Uh, God man trying to wreak havoc and people cheering for him because it causes the most chaos and therefore gives them entertainment on their, you know, uh, Twitter feeds each day. Like, you know, there's, there's that side, but then there's also this side of like, but come on, like cheesy liberal people who are always advocating for things while still like using your cell phones drinking from your plastic water bottles. You know, it's like, it's doing like all the other stuff too, where it's like, you can't like sit in judgment of people when you have this plank in your eye at the same time, right? Yeah. 
And and when you start to skewer both sides, you become an enemy of all sides. Like I think that yeah. that's I think that's ultimately what happened to South Park, but it still gets ratings because people like to think that it is speaking for their side. Well, let's move on to best scene sequence episode or yeah. storyline because actually, actually my notes. Yeah. yeah, because actually my best scene uh, is one of these things that sort of skewers this liberal idea, which is the girls get it done ad in the second okay. season. Agent Pearson, sir. <coughs> oh, you're a sight for sore eyes. Agent Cruz, I thought we lost you. Got by with a little help from the friends. <laughs> so, good news or bad? I'd say that's good news. And now the CG mutants approach. And there's the bad news. There's no way we can restore the grid if we don't get that flash drive to the tower. But how are you going to get through all of them? Don't worry. Girls get it done. And cut a rehearsal. No one move. No one move. No one move. It's, it's how I feel whenever I watch a studio or a film company talk about wanting to be more inclusive and diverse. Yeah, well, it's how you feel when you're watching Avengers Endgame and there's that scene where, like, Captain Marvel shows up and then she's surrounded by, like, all the other female superheroes, you know? Yeah. Like, with the gauntlet, it's like, what are we doing? Like, why are we, like, pandering like this in the middle of this movie? Like, I do not understand at yeah. all, yeah. right? But it's, I, like, I it's trying to yeah. get off some kind of... It's trying to get off some kind of take that's going to make people feel better rather than have any meaningful like reason to it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, I mean, that's good television. Like that's, it's important to point these things out that like, you know what, you know, what's better than a PSA about change, actual change. Like that's better. Right. Yeah. Um, And what this show does is, it basically, you know, it basically lays out all the stuff that we went through after um, George Floyd's murder in 2020 and mm -hmm. how corporations would rush to this idea of like, oh, no, no, we're going to we're going to change our branding or like the NFL saying like, oh, no, we're going to um, we're going to put in racism in our uh, in our end zones and stuff. Okay, well, are you going to make like contributions to Black Lives Matter? And are you going to allow your players to kneel during the national anthem? Well, no, we're not going to do that. Okay, well, then you're not talking about change. You're just talking yeah. about talking Lip about service. it. Yeah. yeah. Ironically, at the same time, my favorite, and there I have a lot. So I'll just get this out of the way. Anything with like gruesome violence or any sort of like, mashup of like sex and violence and humor mm -hmm. i'm here for it i don't know what that says about me i don't care <laughs> i just like anything that i'm like how did this get past standards and practices like i'm i'm here for it right that aside i i recalled in looking back over some of the episodes the moment where and i think this is it's not perfect but it is a moment where somebody's trying to make a change, and it's when Starlight calls out the church at the Believe conference in season one, episode uh, five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, the episode's called Good for the Soul. And she's there, and she basically, there's this relationship she has with her mother 
where her mother is kind of an exploitative person where she's basically pushed starlight into the or anna right it's her name anna january yeah it pushes her into the limelight for her whole life she's like a beauty a, a pageant queen and then she has superpowers and of course how do we exploit those and she's at this even what seems to be an evangelical christian conference and her mom is like asking her to like sing a song or something Mm-hmm. She basically says, I'm not going to be your show pony anymore. Like, and really goes in on the failings of the church and uh, why it's okay to, you know, be gay and not, and why you should support people who are suffering. Like, all these things. Just please stop the music. Please stop. You want me to just suck it up and do this for you? Hmm? You have no idea what you're really asking. You have no idea what I've been through. Every single word that I say up here, I'm reading from a script. I didn't write any of these words. I don't even know if I believe in them. I believe in God, I love God so much, but... (laughs) Honestly, it's it's just how goddamn certain everyone is around here. Tickets start at what, 170 bucks so that these people can tell you how to get to heaven? How do they know? How does anybody know? When the Bible was written, life expectancy was 30 years old. I mean, I'm not so sure you're supposed to take it literally. It also says that it's a sin to eat shrimp. What, if you're gay or if you're Gandhi, you're going to hell? I mean, and if you have sex before marriage, that's, that's not immoral. That's human. Here's the truth. Anyone who tells you they know the answers is lying. And I know, I know, I'm supposed to be this hero, idol, symbol, whatever, but... I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm just as scared and confused as the rest of you. I'm done pretending. And I'm done taking any more shit. Kripke also talks about in another interview how he thought a kind of overarching theme for him was hypocrisy for all of the characters. Yeah. Was what you see is not who they are. And that when they're not being seen, that's when their the real self comes out. This is one of the few times that I could remember in the series where a character acknowledges the hip- hypocrisy of in the moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. She says, I, "This is not who I am," you know. And and by her criticism of that community, I, I think she's confessing to who she is or who she wants to be. So. Yeah, I, I I had totally forgotten about that episode. I'm glad you brought it up because I remember watching that episode and thinking like, you know, thinking back to my own because I grew up in like, you know, those sort of conservative, like evangelical churches growing up and stuff. And I remember when it first became clear to me this idea that we're not all on the same page, you know, it's like 
uh, when you're a teenager, like they preach to you this idea of like promise rings and abstinence and like all of this, you know, weird sort of like quasi sexual, just deeply disturbing sort of like teenage stuff to make you feel as bad about yourself and your body as possible. And then at some point, like when you're in your 20s or something, you're like, what the hell did I just go through? And you get like this idea of like um, adults saying, oh, I can't believe you took that stuff seriously. Like, I can't believe you actually believed it. It's like, yeah, I believed it. Like, what the what are you talking about? Yeah, I I, I was thinking about that today. Had somebody when I was a late teen that I respected in, in our faith community, had they stood up and said that basically that speech that starlight gives in that episode mm-hmm. i've been like you're gonna start a church like where are we going yeah like, seriously yeah i would have been like i i think i think because when i was in my young 20s you know i had an english professor who again this is the first time i had heard anybody say it this way but he was like you know the bible's a myth right <laughs> right in that class uh, at a christian college you know, people were in tears. And I was like, can we go get, we were in London at the time, overseas, studying overseas. There were students who were crying. And I just, after class, I said, can we go get a beer after? I got to, what we got to talk more about this, you know? So I would, I like to think that had, I had somebody tell me, you know, you're not going to go to hell if you have sex before you're married or right. uh, that's completely natural. You know, we should be about more than just kind of policing our, whether we're drinking or not on the weekends, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it would have changed my life. Maybe. I, th- I think so. I mean, like here, like the saddest part of it is that it feels like a joke that you're not in on it, or even worse. It feels like a joke that you're the punchline of, and it's all about control of behavior, right? Like 100%. as long as you're, as long as you're following the correct behavior, they don't yeah. care. They yeah. do not care, but should you sort of challenge beliefs and stuff like that, that's where they're going to have problems, you know? Yeah. Best performance. I mean, first off, Elizabeth Shue really tapped into a high school crush. We're not going to go too deep on this, but. Wait, wait, uh, wait, high school crush is in like adventures and babysitting Elizabeth Shue or karate kid Elizabeth Shue? Uh, older. <laughs> um. But but all joking aside, I uh, I really liked, and I hope I'm saying his name correctly, Tomer Capone as Frenchie. Yeah. Um, I think there's a complexity to his character and some, um, I think he's asked to do a little bit more than most mm-hmm. in the sense of he's this hardened criminal when we first meet him, kind of gangster type, who's a part of the boys. But... Uh, encounters this mute woman who has superpowers of her own and falls in love with her and, and becomes kind of this father. Fi- well, not maybe not a father figure because that gets weird. No, they're like, uh, lovers, yeah. but he feels very protective of her and yeah. loves her and wants to care for her. And it unlocks something in him that's very tender and sweet. Uh, and as the series progresses, he's forced to confront that he's, or he's forced to confront his past. Um, in ways that I don't think a lot of our other characters are asked to do. I think you're dead on with this one. Like that is a character who is very like show don't tell. 
as far as backstory. Like we yeah. know pretty much every boy's backstory, either yeah. because they've told us like what it is or we've seen what it is. Like Mother's yeah. Milk was still a mystery going into season three. Three, I think you're but, right. Yeah, but after season three, we know what Mother's sort of story is and like why he's there. Yeah. But like, but this is a character that like, I mean, when they give us pieces, it's like morsels of his past, you know? Yeah. And it's like, and it just kind of like, it keeps building and keeps building. And you're like, there is something really screwed up in this guy's past. And I could see this TV show going the full way and never telling us what it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But you've got a different favorite performance. I I loved Jensen Ackles uh, in the third season who played Soldier Boy, which is basically so the third season of the boys, like we said before, um, the first two seasons, it's basically a send up of the Justice League. And like, what would what would the Justice League look like if it was in like this cynical sort of corporate world? Well, season three gives us what would the Avengers look like in this sort of screwed up boys world? And yeah, Jensen Ackles plays Soldier Boy, who is basically uh, a dark mirror version of Captain America. And and what I love about the character is that it is like witnessing the ultimate boomer, right? Like this, <laughs> this is a character who is maybe one of the worst people ever to exist on the planet. And it's like, if you gave a boomer like, you know, immortality and superpowers, like what would they look like? One of the one of the sort of sins, I think, of the MCU, like it's something that you could never do because the MCU is very PG. It's got to, you know, it's got to exist in that space. You can't interrogate like the Marvel Cinematic Universe at all from a historical perspective. But one of the failings and the sins is that Captain America thawed out from the ice as a person from 1942 would be a racist asshole. And that's what Soldier Boy is, right? Yep. And that's like, that's that's what we would never admit to ourselves because like, you know, Chris Evans is so pretty, but like he would be a terrible person in 2023, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, and so I love that I love that they're willing to go there on this show and say that, like, no, a, a you know, somebody who came back to life from the 1940s would not be somebody that we would root for ever. Yeah. Like that's well, just and you see that a bit with Star um uh, Stormfront, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Jensen Ackles plays it like straight down the middle. Like he plays it sort of on. Yeah. Cause there's also like a, why are, why are people pissed at me? Like, I right, yeah. I can't even fathom that what I'm saying is offending you. Yeah. Yeah. White people. I can't. No, no, listen, listen, this is the kind of guy, like, I mean, we see it in the world now, right. Where Disney is like, you know what? Maybe, uh, maybe Br'er Rabbit isn't a good, sort of story to have as like the basis of one of our rides at our parks. Maybe we should lean a different way. And you have people who are like, what are you talking about? That's yeah. soldier boy. Like soldier boy is the guy that would be making those kind of arguments. Like, yeah. but I like splash mountain. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Morning Homelander. To what do I owe the pleasure? Well, you never come up to 99. So figured I'd pay you a visit. What a lovely idea. Right? 
After all, you run a superhero company and uh, you never check in with your superheroes, do you? Like, uh, well, I don't know, around the hiring of that girl, for example. You wish to be consulted on Stormfront? Oh, why not? I signed off on all the rest. I'm the leader of the Seven. For which you have my undying respect. See, I don't think I do. No. Not even Madeline would have dared to try and pull this kind of shit. Oh, of course you know how important you are to everyone in Vaught. No, no, Stan. I am Vaught. You know what? My contract's up end of this year. Maybe it's time I uh, move on. How do you think your shareholders would feel about that? What do you know about Frederick Vaught? Excuse me? Frederick Vaught, our esteemed founder. Well, I don't know. Um, not a lot, probably. I only read his autobiography five times. <laughs> not the self-serving bullshit that we peddle to the shareholders, the real story. Enlighten me. Got his doctorate from Munich, ahead of his time in genetics. Such the rising young star that in 39, Hitler appointed him chief physician at Dachau, where he enjoyed a ready supply of human subjects on which to test his earliest iterations of compound V, for which we condemn in the strongest of possible terms. Early in 44, he felt the winds change, got spirited away to the Allies. When Oppenheimer was flailing with the bomb, Dr. Vault already had practical applications of compound V tested in the field. Heroes, like Soldier Boy, killing Germans by the dozen. So, Roosevelt pardoned him, and he became as wonderbred American as Disney and Edison. Well, this is a truly fascinating, if not slightly condescending lecture, but um, I don't think I see the point, Stan. The point is that you are under a misconception that we are a superhero company. We are not. What we are, really, is a pharmaceutical company. And you are not our most valuable asset. That would be our confidential formula for compound V, which you, manchild that you are, released into the wild. Don't know what you're talking about. Well, let me remind you. You slipped compound V to terrorists all over the globe to get you and your cronies into national defense, but maybe at the cost of destroying the whole company. I don't think I appreciate your tone, sir. Not much at all. And I don't appreciate that the FDA now knows about Compound B, or that it's only a matter of time before the public finds out. While you're preening at the Golden Globes, we're busy running around like maniacs trying to clean up the mess you made. I don't have to consult you about Stormfront or anything else. Now, I believe you have a premiere of Tech Night Lives to go to? Uh, let's go to Theology Corner. Join me, won't you? What if, yeah, join me, won't you? We've actually talked a lot of theology already. Like, um, yeah. The scarring of sort of evangelical youth. Um, yeah. What did, what did I even write? Uh, well, I think a, a place to start, too, is um, your thought about cynicism. I think really... 
how do you hold that intention with or in conversation with belief in anything, right? Like, it's not that this is just there's the danger of cynicism. Well, why is it dangerous and to whom is it dangerous? Like, so I, as someone who's worked with young people, you know, for most of my time in the church, like what I can tell you is that the young people that I work with are not cynical at all. As a matter of fact, they're the they're like the source of optimism in the church. Like they're the ones that really, you know, are are not sort of criticizing the institution in the way that like adults are. However, the other side of that is that uh, there are fewer young people in institutions. And I think the reason for that is because the institutions have given them no reason to think that they're on the up and up. So you're mm. talking about, mm. you know, late millennials, yeah. late millennials and Gen Z have grown up with sort of the scandals, you know, of, of religious right sort of con artists like Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson and stuff like that. But then yep. have also had to endure the legitimate pain of the Roman Catholic Church and the abuses that it has um, perpetrated against innocent young people in its care and has never apologized or taken any responsibility for. I mean, I'm sorry, like if you are an institution like the church, I can certainly see why everyone would be sort of turning a skeptical eye to you saying that you are preaching a gospel of love and tolerance, right? Mm -hmm. You just mm -hmm. look like Homelander mm -hmm. uh, to the rest absolutely. of the world. Yeah, absolutely. What, what worries me more is uh, perhaps as someone who's not super closely affiliated with the church at the moment is the cynicism towards kind of public service, right? Towards government democracy. What's, you know, trying to keep this thing afloat. You know, there's a overarching overarching theme across all institutions is that adage of uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's a major theme in the show uh, across all seasons. So, so far, like, I know this is spoiler alert. I know I said earlier, I hope people haven't watched it and listened to this, but, you know, you learn later in the series that, Vaught is making supervillains to justify the need for superheroes. Right. Yeah. And my God, if you can't find parallels for that in the church, in our government, then you're just willfully blind. I mean, here's the thing. It's like we talk on Popping Collars a lot about like cynicism is sort of like it's a crushing thing. That's yeah. not to say like I keep calling this show cynical i think it is like i think it i think it ultimately is a pretty cynical view of the world but the world is a cynical place i mean that's that's basically why they had to stop making veep right because like they couldn't make a show that satired american politics better than actual american politics yeah when the show yeah. was going on so it's like uh, well we're out of business because donald trump put us out of business right and yeah how veep yeah so if the world is cynical, then yeah, the art is going to reflect that cynicism. I think in yeah. my heart of hearts and what we've said on popping collars several times is that we want to believe in the goodness of people, right? Like, like ultimately I want to think that most people are good, you know, at heart. They're just manipulated in really crazy ways. 
And the problem is that religious institutions are at the heart of that manipulation a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So that if you are one of the good guys, for lack of a better word, like one of the boys, you know, you look weird (laughs) as a result, right? And even the boys themselves are in season three are sort of seduced by this idea of, okay, well, what would it look like if I had power, right? Like, and how how better would I feel if I were in that position? Yeah. I mean, listen, man, religion is a place where if you don't have it in check, your ego can go crazy and can convince you that you're actually doing amazing stuff when what you're doing is the basest of all possible human evil and you can convince yourself that you're the good guy in that scenario yeah Yeah. what was it there was like a just one quick aside there was like a mitchell and webb do you remember that old british like it was like a british sketch comedy show mitchell and webb where they were playing like these nazis you know they were like um uh you know sort of ss officers who were having like a meeting and uh, one of them looks down and he's like, you know, he sees like this skull and crossbones badge that he's wearing. And he's like, you know, I, have you ever had the feeling that maybe we're maybe we're the bad guys? <laughs> like, have you ever, like, that's yeah. kind of that's kind of what happens is that you convince yeah. yourself that you're the good guys when you are wholeheartedly the bad guys. Uh, industry uh, corner your favorite part of the show ooh, i love it i love you it hot takes on the industry you have a big question which has kind of come up in different ways over the last couple of episodes and i don't mean that as in it's repetitive you kind of it, it becomes unique to the platform that we're talking about yeah yeah what's your what let folks know your question for for this <laughs> series slash uh streamer yeah i'm gonna talk about amazon Right. So we're talking about a show. Okay. We're talking about a satire of a corporation that owns everything, you know, including a superhero team that manipulates your perceptive perspective of that company in order to feel good about them and buy their products. And at at its core, it's just are we talking about or Amazon? Right. So that's what I'm saying, right? Like yeah. I'm describing oh, the vault. I'm, I'm describing yeah. vault industries on the show, and I what know. I'm actually describing is Amazon. Yeah, and it's like, and what Eric Kripke has done is sold a show to Amazon that they are putting on their air that is a direct critique of Amazon. Like the only thing that's comparable is if I don't know if you've ever seen the live action version of the Dumbo movie that Tim Burton did for Disney. No, I missed that one. It is a skewering of the Disney Corporation. Like it is it is an anti-Disney Corporation yeah. movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like every time I watch it, I'm like, how in the hell did Disney pay for some for an artist to come in and criticize their business? Like, I do not understand. So yeah. so my here. Yeah, my big industry question for this is. Why is Amazon paying for a show that critiques their business? I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Yeah, you're. I, I don't disagree with you, by the way. I, but I do think it's maybe a step too far to say that Vault is Amazon. They're close. 
but you don't get the sense in Vault that they're they're more like a media company less than a retail company. But the parallels are be, yeah. Parallels. Amazon's Amazon's trying to sell you like laundry detergent and batteries. Like they don't they like they have TV shows, but they do not care what the TV shows are. Like as long yeah, as definitely. you purchase something from their retail side of their website. Like well, you know you what's know. interesting about the not caring thing is, and I'm I'm not I don't think I'm speaking out of turn because in the in the marketing PR work that we do, like we work with Amazon and they are fantastic people on their film side that we work with who have come from different studios, right? They, everybody mm-hmm. in Hollywood is always moving around, changing jobs, and you know those people, insofar as I can tell, do care about the work that they do and the product that is put out. But I do get the sense, even from just listening in on some of them, that they recognize that they're part of something so much bigger. And what I would love to know, and I'm not privy to these conversations, is like how far up the chain do you have to go from the conversations that I'm privy to to find out whether, in fact, an exec cares or not? Yeah, I'm sure this goes back to what you were saying about how we what we preach versus what we believe. I'm sure they're they're breathing all kinds of fire at the lower level execs, but behind closed doors, they're probably like, well, we don't give a shit because we're selling batteries and diapers. <laughs> right, like, right. Yeah. This is not, we're not making our money off of this. Right. Right. So that, and who can say we could never know, but I think your criticism and the question is fair. And also for me, it just seems like, you know, we talked about in the last episode that we recorded, I believe I brought this up because we were talking about adaptations of video games. And I mentioned that Amazon had ordered two, series uh, a god of war adaptation which is a playstation 5 game and you know they spent that you know small country's gdp on the rights to lord of the rings Mm -hmm. um so i i think it's still i think that's part of it i think they there are certain people in that company that could potentially look at content like this to say well this is the a version of a battery yeah when it runs out what are we going to give them like to keep them in the ecosystem of amp keep keep them plugged in, if you will. Yeah, I guess I guess when I say Amazon doesn't care, what I mean is Jeff Bezos doesn't care, right? Like, yeah, no, I now there's probably more people in there that right. Don't. The like, creators, because- yeah, the creators and the people whose job it is to put these shows on, they probably do care, and they probably do care, you know, about like quality of show like i mean listen they make they make good tv like there are there's some really good stuff that is on the prime video platform as a matter of fact one of the shows that i want to talk about on prime video i think is one of the best tv shows ever made Uh, well the underground railroad spoilers for when my amazon pit comes up but and listen this is just like what amazon is doing is just a 2020s version of the broadcast business right So, like, when radio was invented and when television was invented, the goal of those media was not to bring you, like, War of the Worlds on radio or, you know, Gilligan's Island on TV. Like, the point of those media was to sell you cars, was to sell you stuff. The television shows were there to keep you listening or watching so that when the ads came on, you would buy the things that the advertisements were selling. 
Like that was the point of the medium. Um, and Amazon is just the latest version of that. Amazon, they just want to sell you clothes or toilet paper. Like they don't care about television. Like but yeah. television isn't where they're making their money. Television is there to get you to buy something else where well, they do is, make their money, right? This is why I think the Vought Amazon comparison is interesting, but more importantly, or a better comparison might be Vought and Fox News, where they're also trying to sell you things. Yeah. And if you look at the advertisements that are paired with these news segments or these news shows, quote unquote news shows, they're directly related to the kind of fear-based dialogue that's that dominates that cycle. And they're selling stuff too. So it's even more problematic in that way. Yeah. Um, at least when I'm watching The Boys or Power, which by the way is another good Amazon series you should check out, or Underground Railroad, I at least know that, or at least I'm getting good content. At least I'm being made to think about something or entertained or whatever, even though I know that that's coming at a price. All right. On that note, we've solved capitalism, Ryan, you and me. Oh, oh, right oh, here. Sorry. What were we saying? I was placing an Amazon order when you were. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Let me get underwear. <laughs> water. Oh, my local bookstore just closed and, and it was all your it fault, is. Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supporting my local bookstore. Holy cow. All right. Uh, I'm going to spin the wheel to decide where we're going to go next. Go, go, go. I'm going to solve. All right. Corno Curl Cabinet. Hey, Ryan. It's one of my picks. We're going to my Hulu pick. And we are definitely going to keep this one because I'm not going to trade it out for another one. We're watching Reservation Dogs. We're going to talk about Reservation Dogs next time. You're giving me a need, a need, a reason to watch it. I've been wanting to watch this show. I can't wait. Dude, I got to tell you, here's the thing. If Atlanta... So I think that Atlanta changed television in the way that it presented its episodes. Reservation Dogs takes the formula that Atlanta laid out and takes it even further, if that's possible. Can't so wait. I think you're going to love it. So Reservation Dogs on Hulu is going to be our next show. Ryan, uh, thank you for uh, taking a tour of Vault Industries with me. You I'll know, turn my badge in at the door. Yeah, try not to sample the products. Uh, we don't want you to uh, you know, start shooting lasers out of your eyes or anything like that. I'll try not to. <laughs> We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.